long has it been? Three years? Two and a half, two, over two years, right? I mean, I'm, I'm in the territory for new laptop. Mm, it's probably, this is going to be the third year, I think. Well, you got yours before mine. I got yes. mine in December, the kind of December time frame of the year it came out, I think. I feel like I got mine about like six months before you did. Yeah. Um, but we're on the same version. Right. It's the same model. Yeah. Well, there was no revisions between yours and mine. It should be the exact same machine. Right. So mine's a mid-2012. Yeah, that's what mine is. So that means we're coming up on three years. Or I am. Because I bought it right when it came out. In day of, right? When the retinas came out. So that was mid-2012. Yeah. I don't remember what the exact date was, but... I think I'm ready for a new one. As soon as they, isn't this, isn't the retina due for a um, refresh, like a new significant, what's the, what's the new CPU architecture that's coming out that we're waiting for? That's what it is. That's what I'm waiting for. Broadwell? Mm, I guess. I haven't been following. I just want to, I just want to, I just want a damn retina monitor. <sighs> 5K retina monitor. Would you, could you have imagined that three years ago or two years ago when you bought your laptop, that two years later, you still would not be able to use a retina external display with it. Nope. It's ridiculous. But I've gotten used to it. I enjoy it. I prefer I prefer the look, the resolution of the retina screens. I mean, I have that whole ultra-wide at home, the basically two 27 inches smashed up together from LG. and It's a great monitor. I can fit a lot of stuff on it, so I'm really productive, but... I don't know, screen resolution wise, it's not it's not where I'd like it to be. Yeah. So Broadwell was released last year. Um it will be used in conjunction with Intel nine series chipsets. I don't think Apple started using it though. I think that's I think that's where we're waiting on. Because mm. these computers are what, Haswell or Ivy Branch? I can't remember. You know? No clue. Yeah. All right, well, we're recording, so. You ready to start the show? Time. You ready to start? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I have no energy today. I, I don't either. I feel like I just want to, like, get a pillow and fall asleep. I really feel like this should be a Friday. I need this to be a Friday. I know. But it's not. The other thing is allergies have been really bad for me lately, and so I, I've been avoiding taking something because everything I take... Makes me drowsy. Yeah. Are you laughing at my I'm not, <laughs> at my wall of pillows? <laughs> Pillow Tetris. <laughs> I, I said I put it up there. That I said at the time, uh, every little bit counts, right? I guess so. It does. I mean, it helps, yeah. right? It's better than that window. Do we have to describe what we're talking about? I think we should just take a picture and tweet it. So. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to own this. This is ugly. Uh, okay, <laughs> this shall not be seen by the public. This shall not be seen. I don't want to own this monstrosity. We we have this huge window that's kind of a an issue for us recording because it allows sound to bounce back. But we have a couch now in the office, and so I took the seat cushions off the couch and stacked it on top of it to kind of block some of that sound. But it just looks so ghetto. I bet it's fairly effective though, and it's it's high enough too, right? Yeah. It's, again, it's in the zone that where, where right. we are. So I have some follow up, John. Follow up, just something minor. But last week we were when we were talking about. Are Sal's, you going to correct something I said? No, I'm just. Oh. Um, well, not really a correction, but a follow up on something you said. 
so we were talking about Salesforce's branding and how they just, you know, if you don't like Salesforce's name for something, just wait, it's going to change. Uh-huh. Um, and you were, you couldn't remember what the original like name for the platform was. Um, and later, and I didn't even think I probably would have thought this, but I wasn't sure what you're going for, but were you trying to remember S force? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was one of the first 10 people to be S force certified. <laughs> that's right. They're still trying to figure it all I was out. In the, I was in like the pilot class for it. And then every year they kept ch- changing the training course. Yes. Like how it was certified and everything. I think you got grandfathered for a while. Yeah. Cause remember that it was level one, two and three for a yeah. while. Remember those levels? Yep. And so I think I got grandfathered into like level two or something. I got to the point where I stopped trying. It's like, they're just going to change it again next year. Well, and then they're like, yeah. And then they came out with the thing they have now, which is you just, you have to get recertified every three yeah. months. Or At least it's consistent months. now. At least it's, it's holding, you know, it's, it's not like massively changing. Um, yeah, I guess it's really not. I mean, it's, it seems they've seemed to hit the program that they want. I mean, it, obviously it's going to want to be one of those things they always adjust, but right. And they seem to have a, an official certification plan now, or it's before they're just kind of figuring it out, seeing what works, all those kind of things. I sure did being, enjoy being grandfathered all those years though. Yeah. Um, I have a little joke for you. I saw this. I thought it was funny. <laughs> what better than my knock, knock series? Uh, almost assuredly. <laughs> okay. So what do you call overly nested or indented code. I don't know. What do you call overly nested and indented code? Tea party code. Because it's so far to the right and it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It doesn't. I don't see how people can... it's, It's so funny that what you generally consider to be like the worst developers, like they create these crazy long methods that just have, you know... 20 levels of nesting in so far nested in that like the lines don't even start on the screen anymore. You have to scroll pages to the right. And then, and then, so you think, man, what a, what a, what a not smart person, right? But then you think, wait a minute, their brain understood that to write that you have to be pretty smart to be able to do that. Because I look at that and I think to myself, there's no way I'm ever going to understand that. And I need like short classes and short methods so they can fit into my little brain one thing at a, I only have to think about one thing at a time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that will create extra variables just for readability. Cause I know I'm gonna have to come back in and look at it. And if I don't, I'm not going to understand what, what I was trying to do. Things have to be named correctly. I, I try not to have these really long if statements and things that, that I see out there. And if I do, I make sure I create Boolean variables so that it reads like a sentence, you know, is this, and is this, and is this, and is this, yeah. if I have to do that. Yep. Versus if this equals not equal to null and this is not equal to null and this is this value and this is not this value and it changed to this value. Yeah. I can't read that. I know. It's all about readability because it's one thing to write it. It's, it's another thing to read it even a few days later. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll even create one liner methods called is qualified or something like that, whatever I'm kind of asserting. Right. Um, and that will contain whatever the logic is and return some Boolean. And, and like tomorrow, I probably don't care what all those things that went into it was. I just need to know what it meant. Oh, it meant the person was qualified, right? right. You know, little, little things like that to help your your brain and other people's brains who have to read that or who are going to understand Isn't that it. the sign of experience? That's the sign of, you know, when, when you start trying to simplify your code like that, that, that shows a certain level of experience because you're, you know what, you know, you're going to have to go back and look at it 10, 10 days, a month, a year from now. 
And you know, if you don't do that work up front, you're not going to understand it later. But those who just kind of fire hose it and they have all those indentations and they haven't split things out into proper functions and things like that, you know, it works. I think it is experience. I think it's because you, because everyone's built, I mean, any experienced software developer has built really crap, has written really crappy code in the past, right? Right. Um, and we've learned, we've had, you end up having to deal with it. And assuming you're a programmer who gets better, who wants to get better, and who's always trying to sharpen their saw, um, that's one of those things you're going to eventually realize that, you know, that code was really hard to read. And it ended up making the project really hard to finish. You know, the, the longer the project goes on, the slower it, it takes to do anything, the, the harder it is to do any, to make any change, to understand anything. Right. And so, you, yeah, you kind of learn. Um, but there's another part of that too, which is just like, Aesthetics. I think some people um, have an aesthetic. Uh, what's the word? Like an eye for aesthetics, or it's just a thing for them. You you want something to look good and to flow well. It's almost it almost becomes like you know. I think that, I don't, I'm not sure so sure about the poetry metaphor, but kind of like that. I mean, it's it's almost like designing a, a screen or UI or having a really pretty picture, but it's code, it's text, it's, it's aligned a certain way. It's indented a certain way. It fits within the 80 column rule. You know, it's right. I'm, I'm like that. Yeah. I'm very particular about how my code looks. Yeah, I am too. I mean, I have certain, you know, certain rules like, you know, no vertical scrolling whatsoever ever. Well, I won't say ever. There's some, there's some cases. No horizontal. Yeah. No horizontal. Scrolling. You said vertical. Did I? Sorry. No, I horizontal say, that, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. that's really good. <laughs> My classes are only 50 lines and then I just make a new class. <laughs> uh, no wonder you want namespaces in Salesforce. Exactly. The classes yeah. are only 50 lines long. <laughs> Hello world takes me four classes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's, there's the, just the purely physical or like visual, um, like real superficial type of type of beauty when it comes to code. But there's like, you know, um, I don't know if you ever read it. Um, I think I have it. I don't, I'm not even sure if I've read it. I probably should read it again. It's been a while. But um, Bob, uh, Bob Martin's got a book called Beautiful Code. And it's, it's not, I think it's Bob Martin. I could be wrong. Someone fact check me. It's, it's, um, it's not just about how it looks, but I mean, be, beautiful in a, in a much more complex and deeper sense. Like what makes beautiful code, you know? understandable, maintainable, whatever. But I mean, you know, those are just the high level things, but it really goes into all the different things that would make up. Yeah. For me, the, the structure of it and the indentation and the, and the look of it is the first part of it. And then taking something really complex and simplifying, simplifying it enough to where it kind of just tells a story rather than just these mass amounts of complex, you know, functions and methods and calculations. So that when you read it, it tells the story. And I'm sure you've had the experience of, you know, you, you, do some project and then later, maybe during the project, maybe after the project, you know, you're talking to someone or you get an email and they're like, um, and I know, you, I know this is happening to you because you write, you write pretty good looking code. Um, but someone will say, Hey, you know, I was, uh, I needed to see what was happening. So I, I looked at some of the code and man, it read just like English. It was so well written. Thanks. Yeah. Those are, those are always nice to get. It is very nice to get. That's, that's a big compliment. I mean, if I, if the system administrator can read, in, in like in terms of a Salesforce, right? If system administrator can read Apex code and pretty much tell exactly what it does, then you've probably done a pretty good job. Yeah, especially if it's you know not if it's non-trivial code to begin with, right? Uh, I have good news for you, John. Good news. Yeah, I could always use good news. You have an extra week to save nine hundred dollars on your Dreamforce ticket. 
I'm gonna need it. <laughs> I think we because they haven't they haven't approved our uh, no <laughs> our uh, press pass. And I don't think it's gonna get approved either. But um, I really hope that they tell us soon, yay or nay. And if it's nay, well, what if we lose early bird because they're sitting on our request? Well, hopefully they at least give us early bird. It would be nice if they give us a discount, saying, "Yeah, we're not going to, but we'll give you a discount." Um, but here's the here's the quote from the email I got. <laughs> The low price of $1,099 extended until April 21st. The low, low price. (laughs) I mean, what was the tuition last year? Or what's it called? Admission? What was the admission last year? It was not over $1,000, was it? This is going to be the first time I've paid for the Dreamforce ticket out of pocket. So this is is the only time I'm really aware of how much it's actually costing. At least it's tax deductible. Yeah. For us. Right? Yeah. And it seems expensive, it but I guess when you well, when you add everything up, it is expensive. Well, and it's it's just, and it's also just, um, it's, it's it's the beauty of the free market, right? It's it's a it's a free market, yeah. Supply and demand, yeah. I mean, you they've pretty much hit the maximum number of people they can fit into this place, yeah. So what do you do to control demand? You raise your price. Why wouldn't you? That's that's the feedback loop that makes the system balance, right? But it's still too damn expensive. <laughs> the rent's too damn high. The rent's too damn high. <laughs> well, uh, we got summer fifteen on the horizon. I don't know anything about summer fifteen. Do you? Well, I don't know anything about it either. Okay. They haven't released the release notes yet, but they they did release the sign up for the webinar. So that'll happen in May. I think May seventh. I'll have to double check, but yeah. I saw that come across and Do you do you do those webinars? I do sign up for them. I don't always make them because if I have project work to get done i'll usually do that instead of sitting on a webinar because they'll record it um but i usually try to watch these early ones at least so that i know what to expect that's in the release notes so i can be up to date yeah and see what's on the horizon yep the only problem with that is if they are coming out with something that's really cool or helps me with the problem i'm trying to solve i have to wait and hope it works out the way i was hoping yeah I don't, I usually don't, I've, I don't do the webinars. I don't really don't have the patience. I do read release notes though. Pretty, uh, pretty consistently. Yeah. Release so, notes are really well written usually. And they also, they've yeah. gotten better. And well, we talked about this last time we looked at the review note, the release notes, they've, they've gotten better. I think they, they've updated the template and everything for them. Hmm. I mean, they're still the same format yeah. and the same kind of flow. Um, but it seems like they're adding a little bit more information. There's a little more links and things involved in it. So, yeah. So what's, uh, what are our topics? We have a couple here. We have a couple. Not too many. What do you want to start with? How about what's holding Salesforce back from being the biggest company in the world mm. or the biggest tech company? Biggest tech company. Biggest tech company. Well, one thing that's holding them back is the biggest tech company is what? How, bi- how big is the biggest tech company? How many billions? 50, 80, something like that? What's the biggest tech company? IBM? Probably. I probably should have researched that before we started yeah, talking about it. I'm just curious. 2014 revenue, IBM. But the topic came to us from Eugene Kim. This is on Business Insider. And the title of the article is, These two things are holding Salesforce back from becoming one of the biggest tech companies. Actually, one of the biggest tech companies in tech. I don't know why I keep wanting to interject tech companies in there, but that's the way my brain works. So his two main points are, some clients are complaining about the pricing model. I think I'd agree with that. It, it is kind of expensive. I thought, that was you, the, I thought that was the benefit, was the pricing model. 
Well, I mean, once you, you, you have the native Salesforce CRM, and then you start act, act, adding on all the different clouds, because we've got seven of them now, remember? You start adding all these different clouds. Yeah, there's the Cirrus, yeah. the Camilla Nimbus, the, uh, can you name any clouds? <laughs> I can only name two. I, I think I can only name one of them. Yeah. I think Stratus? You Stratus, yeah. Yeah, there are seven clouds. Yeah, so once you start tacking those those suckers on, you know, it adds up. Um, yeah, but and again, I thought the benefit was the pricing model. It's that, you know, you don't have a big upfront investment. I think, I think people take that for granted actually at this point, they sign up for Salesforce and a year or two later, they start bitching about the price. Well, don't forget about the fact that you didn't have to pay a million dollars to get off the ground with this. You sure. just paid for a year's worth of licenses. Yep. Uh, of course, the downside is, is again, Salesforce upgrades you automatically like three, three times a year, which is has a bunch of positives, but also has a bunch of negatives. And one of those negatives negatives is that you are going to get that value force fed. You don't have a choice, which, which is why you are constantly paying, paying for this. I mean, you don't, you can't stop paying. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, they're not going to the stop delivering of, value and you're not going to stop paying. Yeah. That's the nature of the a subscription model. And in the long run that this is the question though, is it total, the total cost of ownership, right? In the long run, is it actually more expensive? Is it? that's what people are, people are complaining about saying it, this is end up, this has ended up being more expensive than if we would have bought an on-premise solution or, or, but you know, fully bought licenses and you know, whether it was on-premise or whether it's, you know, run by some, some hosting provider. Yeah. Matter. But I, I don't think that takes into account what the updates do for you. I mean, you're on the latest version of the software. You're getting all the latest features. If you have an on-premise, which happens all the time, they skip a they skip in a version to upgrade because they don't have time to test it or they have time to, to implement this feature or maybe that feature isn't what they needed or they could live without that feature. So then you know a few years go by, all of a sudden they need to be on the latest version, and because they hadn't gone with that cycle of upgrades, they have a lot of work to do to get it to, to get it there. It's not as simple as just saying okay we're going to go from version two to ten. Yeah, but so I mean, I guess one reason why people don't reason why people don't stay up to date is that it does cost. And why not, why not just skip a version or two? Like I'm not going to upgrade to every people don't upgrade to every win, version of Windows, right? At corp, corporations, right? It's just too expensive, so just skip it. And that's their choice, though. But the nice thing about the subscription model is you you have this this cost that you're going to have to put into your books year over year. It just becomes part of it, at least for however long your contract is. Yeah. So you're almost kind of on autopilot with that system. You're getting the updates. You're getting the value out of it. You're not having to set up this infrastructure. You're not having to maintain the hardware and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. But that's not to say that the cost isn't too high. I think, I think, I think you do get kind of get nickel and dime with all the different clouds and all the different features and all the different licensing models and, arbitrary limits that are in the system, I, I think you do get nickeled and dimed. But I think overall, you know, you're not going to go out and build your own cloud the size of Salesforce or with the capabilities of Salesforce and, and still, and it'd be cheaper. No, but that's, I feel like that's a little bit of a straw man. It's not, it's not that you're going to build your own. It's just that it, a different pricing model, right? Well, then might, what's the argument? It's, it costs too much because what, what are they comparing it to? Because you have to pay every year. Right. But that's not that's not that's not a compare that's not a fair comparison. That's it's like saying my my water costs too much because I can go buy it in tap, but I bought it in a bottle from the grocery store for two bucks. 
No, it's like saying you, you bought your computer, right? You right. bought that computer for, I'm just going to throw out a number, $2,000, right? But you can, using, you can use it for two years. You can use it for three years. You can keep it for four years. If you don't mind the technology getting older, you can use it for four years or five years, right? Mm-hmm. The flip side of that would have been, what if you just rented that computer from me for a thousand bucks a year? Like year three, or, or and, I, and I agreed to every year, I would change it out for the latest model, but you have to pay me a thousand bucks a year. Well, year three, you're like, I got this new computer, but I didn't really need a new one this time around, but I'm still, I still got to pay Jeremy a thousand bucks again this year. That's the comparison. True. And I, I'm not I, saying. I actually kind of like that. <laughs> I'd love to get a new computer every year. Yeah. But, but for a thousand bucks versus two thousand, having to just you know get the wife to yeah. agree to let me spend another two grand on a computer, and th- and that's the trade off, right? That's yeah. the trade off. Is is you know with Salesforce, you're you're going to keep getting this new value delivered all throughout the year. Well, that, I mean, my I I kind of walked into a perfect example. You know, I have to go and justify the cost of buying a new notebook every year with with my family with my with my wife. You don't you. You know, you make a hundred times your money off of that thing. That's a it's a business tool. Yeah, yes, you don't, I know. You don't but have you, still, to justify you, that. you still have to do the courtesy. You can't just go off unless you got it differently, man. You just can't go off and spend two grand and your wife not go. What? Where? Where'd this go? What are you doing? My wife wouldn't even know. It's it's, it's the business is separate. She doesn't even she doesn't have any access well, to that. Well, my so. wife and my household is my CFO. Right, I understand. <laughs> That's nice, though. You, you get those And I have to go services. to the CFO right. and ask if I can spend this money. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, rigid and inflexible pricing model. Yeah, 40, almost almost half of people said that. I don't and, know that how rigid it is, though. I mean, people get discounts all the time. They're able to negotiate. Um, does it say what they mean by that? I don't think it does. I mean, I saw some stuff about, you know, sandbox and these different things and yeah. kind of getting nickel and dimed. I mean, the pricing model is what they say is rigid and in, infle- inflexible pricing model. It's not that you can't get discounts, but still the model is what it is. You know, Things like sandboxes is kind of a nickel and diming thing, I think. Well, it all can start to feel like nickel and dime. I mean, everything it is. It can. But I mean, just, just the fact that the cost is based on how many users you have in your production environment, even though no not even a, a near per, half percent is going to be using that sandbox. It's it's it is what it is. It's a sandbox environment. Right. So it, it doesn't make sense that it would be, you know, compared to that. It should just be sandboxes. I can see how they could be expensive though, because they are allowing you, to, especially on a full sand. That's what you. That's what we're talking about paying for is a full sandbox, right? right? Full sandbox. Um, it is basically copying your entire org, and if and if storage is as much as Salesforce wants you to think it is, as a, is as expensive, then Maybe it is worth, you know, maybe Salesforce does need to charge 15% on it. Yeah. I, d- I just think back to all the compromises we've had to make in our development cycle because we only had one full sandbox. It would be great for developers to have a full sandbox. It'd be great for QA to have a full sandbox. Well, actually, Enterprise doesn't even come with a full sandbox, right? No, it's unlimited. Right. Gets yes. to like one or two yeah. full sandboxes. Actually, I think Enterprise does have one. Not unless it? they changed it recently. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been on projects where you know they they bought Salesforce and we're in the kind of the build out phase, and I'm trying to convince them to get a full sandbox, but because we you know let's say we're doing some kind of integration testing or something that we need really the full data set, and it turns out you know that a sandbox is going to be another hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's what that's what happened one time, and that that was the that you know if you did the math, that's what it was one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and like really just. What you need to do, then that's what they turn around and ask me. Like, what you need to do is that worth one hundred fifty thousand dollars? I'm just, and that puts me in a position where I'm like, man, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not worth one hundred fifty. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and it often isn't. 
Because it's, it's based <laughs> on a percentage of and the number of licenses you have. And, and what's frustrating about that case is, yeah, I understand how on really big orgs, you know, a, a sandbox could be kind of expensive for Salesforce. But in this case, they weren't even using it yet. It didn't even have much data in it. So to do a refresh, you know, it's like a, and it was like a two minute operation. It's not like it took a lot of Salesforce's storage or network resources or whatever to right. do that. It was actually ended up being a, kind of a small, relatively small sandbox. But uh, yeah. Um, so did we talk about the other big reason? Isn't there's another one here? Um, yeah. Okay. Are we done with the pricing? I mean, it, and I just want to say, you know, I, I totally get how people feel like they're being nickel and dimed on stuff and it really does feel that way. But it also is value for value. I mean, right. you, you pay X for a certain type of license. Let's say you, you get the sales cloud, right? And it's a certain amount of money and you, and it's worth, I mean, if you, if you, if you willingly paid for that, then that's paid for that, that, that money. That's what it's worth. I mean, if you didn't decide you want the service cloud or you want the marketing cloud, I can't believe I'm calling those clouds now. That's what it's called, though, I guess, right? That's what the official names are now. You have been assimilated, my friend. Oh. Um, but those are separate products, and they have, they're valuable. Right. Right? And it's value. You should be willing to trade value for value for those. I mean, why should you expect to get that free? I mean, if there was, if there was something better, then go, go get it. Right? And yeah. And if you listen to, I mean, if you look at what the market's been doing, I mean, based on Salesforce's success in the market, it's, it must be, it must be worth what their people are charging for it, what they're charging for it, because people are paying it. Yeah, I agree. You know? And 30% more people are doing it every year. Um, sorry, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> you decided <laughs> when you bought this that it was worth the money. Yeah. All well, right. that brings us to the next topic or the next uh, thing that uh, Eugene, Mr. Kim, thinks that's holding Salesforce back from being the biggest company is um, they haven't done a good, a good enough job integrating their marketing product. And this is something we've talked about before. Yeah. I mean, we, I kind of fault them for not doing, integrating these systems a little more natively, making them seem or feel a lot more native than they do. Um, but again, you know, we've said it before and you've said it before. It's, it's a difficult task. I think there's two, you know, two big drivers behind this. One is the fact that, you know, marketing cloud in particular, that's exact target, right? That, that was a big system, right? You don't, you just don't, you just don't smash two big systems together and get automatically get some nice, pretty result. Right. Right. Um, especially when you've got existing customers running on both of them and there's APIs out there that everyone is. You know, it, that's a contract. APIs are a contract. You can't change them. Um, you can't change their behavior. You can't even change their bugs, really. People start to depend on bugs and APIs to work the way they do. Yeah, but that that's... Yeah, when we talk about fully integrating, I mean, that that's that version. Then you, you kind of roll the technology into Salesforce, make it native, and right. then that's a new yeah. version that you kind of have to migrate to. I agree. but that the, It's painful, but that's that's the right thing to do. So, so I think one factor is that they, these are both very big, big enterprise systems. And as we know, inter- enterprise is really more of a bad word than it is. I mean, some people get excited. Oh, Salesforce is enterprise now. Well, that's not all a great thing. There's a lot of negatives to enterprise. That's why some of the, you know, most of the people who I would put like, I don't know, on like my top, or, you know, smartest developers I know list, uh, don't, don't even like working in enterprise. It's because of, because of kind of things like this. I mean, you can't make, 
you can't do the what's the right thing for the structure, for the architecture, for the technology, because there are so many just, it's all about existing, protecting your cash cap, protecting your existing revenues, you know, all these existing customers, you know, right. nothing's greenfield. It's all just sucks. You're dealing with legacy hell and it's miserable. And a lot of XML. That's what, <laughs> right. It's like a reason enough to go get a different job. But I, um, I think one thing they could probably do to alleviate some of this is, you know, they have that new connect technology, you know, why not, you know, eat your own dog food, implement that for, for say exact target. And now you have virtual exact target tables that aren't eating up your storage, but are allowing you to do the things that you need to do in a, you know, single cohesive system, which is like run reports, dashboards, all of those. I just think there's a lot, I think that's oversimplifying it. I mean, I think there's just, there's so much more to it than that, I, I would think. And we're also talking about, you know, UI, right? Uh, there's just, there's so many l- layers that you have to integrate something like that. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, so that's factor one. It's just big. It's just gigantic, right? Um, the second factor is limited resources, right? Salesforce is doing, again, we've talked about this. They have to, they have to keep their growth rate. I mean, that for the first time since like 10 years ago, Salesforce's, revenue um, increase. Is that what you'd consider? Gr- revenue growth dropped under 30. It was like 22%, like dropped under 30% for the first time in a long time. And that's something that they're, they got to be real careful about. They have to keep growing. I mean, that's part of the, part of the sales, you know, the, the sales job that, that Benioff goes out and does every three months is we're growing. We're, we're reinvesting. We're growing. We're reinvesting. Right. And that's right. just hold on. Right. Um, and so that what, how do you, how do you keep getting more once you've kind of saturated CRM, which I think they did probably a, several years ago, um, you've got to ex- be expanding out. Like you've got to expand breadth. Right? right. And so that's when they, you know, you've seen all kinds of little acquisitions and up to big acquisitions. I mean, exact target being, I think the biggest one we've had all these, um, there's been lots of acquisitions in the service space. And whether it's like in the live chat or all these different things, there's been acquisitions um, like the intranet um, knowledge, all these types of things were, you know, based on acquisitions. Um, the only, one of the, one of the only big new things that wasn't, I believe was, I believe wave was not, well, there were, I think there were actually, there were acquisitions that went into wave. Um, one of them was that uh, relate IQ, I think was related to wave. And there might've been others earlier, small ones, but I think, I think I would consider wave to be a largely mainly organically grown technology. Yeah. I don't know that that's the first one in a long it, time, but I don't but, know. But anyway, my point is that, you know, they've got, they've got to put, and, and also they only spend what 20% of their revenue on R and D 60% of it on sales, only 20% on or 20, 25% on R and D. So there's just limited resources and you've got to have people doing wave and what, what's after wave, right? What's the right. next thing? How do we keep, growing our customer base how do we keep signing up new customers and getting new contracts big and small and it's feature it's new features adding new features new modules new clouds sorry it's not modules anymore it's clouds clouds clouds. and apps yeah (laughs) everything's an app everything's an app um and and so that that really limits the number of resources you're going to want to dedicate to integrating something you bought and it's already at revenue it's already at revenue it's already making money i mean how great of a world would it be if, if these type of acquisitions happened and they, they got integrated? It, okay. I mean, imagine when, when a world you look where at, exact target gets fully integrated and it's native and you have all the same feature set. Imagine a world where Heroku is fully integrated and, and, and native in Salesforce. I'm, I'm honestly, yeah, there's part of me, There's certain things I want integrated, but there's part of 
there's a lots of developers that are super happy that Heroku did not get integrated into Salesforce. And those are mainly all the, where all the pre-existing Heroku yeah. customers. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about me, man. I know. I'm too. That's what I'm worried <laughs> about. Um, yeah. I mean, look at what the cost of, it wouldn't be nice. Well, sure. It'd be nice. But if it cost you say a billion dollars to integrate fully integrate exact target with Salesforce, what are you, how much more revenue is that going to get you than if they were not fully integrated? Yeah. It's just it, the trade-off probably does. And then again, this gets back, this is enterprise software. It's not necessarily about the polish and the fit and finish and who the users are. It's who the buyers are. You're making things for buyers now with enterprise software, not for users. Yeah. But I'd, I'd still like to make it. <laughs> I, I, would yeah. like, I would love that quality to exist. I would love for, yeah. the, for the value and the quality to kind of somehow have this mind meld and, and it would all work and it would be financially viable for everybody. Yeah. That would be an awesome world. And we, I mean, a lot of this may seem like it's not being well integrated because they are working on this grand unification. If it's actually happening. I don't, I don't see a grand unification. I see, I see continued acquisitions with big systems that offer a feature set that they didn't have before, which allows them to grow. But I don't see I don't see them investing in, in integrating it. Yeah, um, it's it's all about whether it's worth it or not. Yeah, I mean if it if it is if they make the judgment that it's worth it, then they will. And if not, then they won't, and they'll just deal with every once in a while someone complaining about it. And that's <clears throat> that. Um. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm just reading this article. So they. <laughs> There are different user interfaces and customer databases that lead to higher levels of dissatisfaction. Forty-seven um, percent of customers say they plan to renegotiate their marketing cloud contract, um, and twenty percent of them say they will move to a different SaaS vendor. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, people are always. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't find this surprising, really, or even all that troubling. It just. We've always known that, all right? Well, shall we move on to a survey? Sure. The big and grand stack overflow survey, survey. says. <laughs> Should we move on? Survey says. Yeah. Uh, my hand's up. That's your hand is up. So that's a hundred percent. See how that works. See how, see how surveys and statistics work. There you go. We got a hundred percent sampling that we should move on. Sample size of two. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that was a consensus, not a sample because we were able to survey everyone in the population. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Getting all technical. <laughs> So this was an interesting <clears throat> survey because it was different than their previous surveys. Okay, so this is a Stack Overflow survey, right? right? That's my understanding. And they, yes. they've run one every year for the last five years, I want to say. Um, but this one definitely was long, the longest one, and it was definitely geared towards career. career Finding out information about people, um, which I think is going to help benefit their kind of career jobs offering, which I think is where they're... They're trying to make their money right now. But one of the first questions before we get into that other stuff was tabs versus spaces. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to I wanted to have a little friendly debate and figure out what side of the spectrum you're on. Do you use tabs or spaces? Do you well, prefer one or the other? I can tell you this. I used to I used to be a tab guy. Um that's until I grew up. I grew up as a developer. Now I'm a spaces. Tabs just spaces are universal. Tabs create too many problems. Um, now there's some. I, I will say, 
if you're, you know, mainly a solitary developer, which lots of us are, then it really doesn't matter. You should use whatever you want to use. Um, if you are working on a team and, and there, there's churn and you, and let's say you're working across different types of systems and, and a kind of a heterogeneous development environment environments and whatever, then spaces just are, will cause way less, way fewer problems than tabs will. Um, I can tell you there's one specific, there's really only one specific. Well, let's talk about, it. so you're probably, you're pro, you're a tab guy, right? I'm a tab guy. Right, so tell me, tell me why you're, why you think tabs are better than spaces. Well, for one, it's a single button click to indent my code. Okay. Well, it's also okay, easier. No, 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 no. Take your points one at a time. Single button. Click. I let you speak and now you're going to, you're going to pick apart every one well, of my I, sentences. I haven't even told you my reason why tab, why spaces are better, but I, I wanted to give you a reason, but I also want to take each. Well, should I take notes on what your reasons are so I can address them or what? No, okay. I just, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you pick me apart. I'll, okay, let's go. You can pick that one apart. <laughs> okay. So the, your argument was, well, hey, with, with a tab, it's a single button click. Right. And are you assuming with spaces, you have, you have to hit the space bar four times? Depends on your IDE. Well, every IDE and text editor that I've ever used supported did support spaces as, in, as an Every text editor? So you've opened every, up Notepad and it, it auto-indented your spaces for I don't, you? I've never used Notepad for, for work. I've used Notepad. I'm sorry. That was a bad decision. <laughs> anyway. But now yeah. you're reliant on IDEs. So you're saying no, you no, have no, to have an no, IDE because no. that's the only way you're going to get pro- productivity out of your spaces. No, I, I use, look at, look at Sublime. I, I use spaces. Um, it auto-indents for you. What do you mean it auto-indents? If, no. you, if you're on a line. I use spaces. It, it uses, auto-indents the spaces for you. What do you mean it auto-indents the spaces? Whenever is, you go to a new line, it, it, it indents it properly. With spaces? Yes. Right. But, but, or if I want to tab in a certain number of tab, you know, tab, like, let's say you have a, you're, you have, you know, four space indentations, whether you're doing tabs or spaces. If you hit the tab, the tab key, it's going to move you in that many, that, that much width, right? right. It doesn't matter whether, whether you're using tabs or spaces. If you're using spaces and you hit tab, it'll move you in four, you know, four characters, mm-hmm. four spaces. Right. You know, if you're using tabs, then it's just going to put one tab in there, right? And you can right. put, make your tab with whatever you want. Which is a pro to me. You can make the tab uh, no, with I, however, right. whatever you want. Whether exactly. It's one, two, three, four, eight. That is a that is a pro of tab. So like if if you like a two character tab width and I like a four character tab width, we can work in tabs and we can get it to look what the however we want. Right. That is the that is a benefit of tabs. But that Thank break, you, I win. No, but that breaks <laughs> down. It's got a fatal flaw. Okay. The fatal flaw is when say, say you have. Um, a function opening or a method you're starting a method on a line and you wrap it and you are you know you're going to tab in to um start you know like you say your your parameter list continues on the next line mm-hmm. and you're going to tab it in so it lines up right um you need to if you're using tabs right and you tab in to make it line up now it breaks down i have four space tabs you have two space tabs that it completely breaks How does it break? Because when you tabbed that in to to for your those two lines to line up, you're. But I never use tabs that way. I don't use. But, but people do, right? And, yeah, and I don't try to that. line up my text on my code. That's just way too much work. Because if someone's just got a different font choice or or whatever they've mm-hmm. got going on, it's never going to match up unless unless everyone's just monospacing and right. that's ugly. Yeah. I use t- I use tabs to indent. Yeah. And whatever indentation you want, there you go. Right. It, yeah. Except except. It, it does not work in certain scenarios. 
if, if people are on different tab widths. That's, that's why if it's my project and I'm the lead developer, I dictate tabs. Well, I, 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 you, okay. But do you dictate, well, then you're saying you, do you dictate tab width? Do you, do I have to have my tab width the same as yours? No, as long as you use tabs. But it's, then it's not going to, it's not going to really work. There's going to be certain scenarios where the spacings are not what, that what they look like to you. They end up not looking that way on me and it ends up looking like a mess. If I don't have how my tab spacing width, change that though. If I, my tab widths are different than yours. Oh, how does using space is different? Because you, because all I care about is how it looks because, to me. Because you space in. Well, then you're okay. That's why you're solitary I can, I can, developer. I, I can take your, I can take your ugly two spacing tabs <laughs> right. and turn them into my my four spacing right. tabs. Right. But if you if you're using four you know four space tabs, and you know and you you have it look a certain way, and I use two space tabs, and you tr- and you know certain things are supposed to line up, they they won't line up anymore. So that's what I'm saying. The benefit of that supposed benefit of you can use whatever tab width you want actually breaks down. It really it creates problems. So your your solution is use spaces and everyone has to use the same spaces. Otherwise, you're in the same problem anyways. Well, you don't have to use. I mean, of course, everyone has the same spaces, right? That's one of the beauties of the sim- simplicity of spaces. It, a no. space is a space. If you use two spaces and I use four no, no, spaces. No, no. A space is a space, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Whereas a tab is not a tab. A space is always just a space. What I think what you're trying to say, though, is that we have to choose what our indentation width is. Right. And it's everyone has to have the same thing. Yeah. Right. Inflexible. Mm. But it, but at least it's reliable. And also tabs, um, again, when you're working on kind of heterogeneous systems and all different types of compilers and whatever, uh, tabs can just create problems, whereas spaces don't. There was an argument at some point that spaces were bad for page sizes for HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. However, with the invention of minifying it's less of an issue. It's not even that, really. It's just that web servers gzip everything, so those spaces get... Yeah, I mean, everything gets... Yeah. Spaces don't really matter. Um, well, unless, you, unless you're not gzipping on your server, which, if that's the case, you should fix that. should enable gzip. So who won? I think, <laughs> I think tabs win. Well, one thing that was interesting was, okay, so more people prefer tabs over spaces, right? No, actually, I think it was... Uh, well, oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But here's the most interesting thing to me: was as developers get more experience, they tend to switch to spaces. Yeah, that's the part I was. Yep. I was thinking we lost out on. <laughs> I say we. Team tab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag tabs rule. <laughs> spaces oh, this rule. Is, this is the oldest argument. It is. What it is. difference at this point does it make? Because tabs are better. <laughs> We will have this argument until... Now, is this part of the survey? It was, right? It was. It was like one of the first yeah. questions. Okay. But it, it was... Moving on to the survey. It was okay. a really long long survey. I think it was one of the first surveys that they're using to actually do something off of versus just, you know, here's here's what the community is saying. Here's a survey. Here's how it all shook up. Here's the numbers. This one seemed like it was asking very specific questions about career, you know, and how you like to work and all those kind of things. And all that's valuable information for, for them to kind of feed into their career platform or whatever you want to call it. Because that's, that's how they make money too, right? Yeah. And the more they understand about careers, the more money they're going to make. Right. So it was interesting. Yep. A lot of interesting stuff in there. But most interesting. <laughs> for us, I guess. For right? us. For, the, for, our, for, our, for our podcast community. For, our for the good day, For peeps. the Good Day Sir podcast show community. Hey, he's the show part. <laughs> Still working on transition, but anyways. 
Yeah, uh, Salesforce uh, didn't make it on the top list of uh, used uh, languages. Certainly not the most loved language, right? No, it it kind of kind of less made it above Visual Basic, which I'm kind of disappointed in. Well, and what you mean by that is Salesforce is the most dreaded language, most dreaded tool, technology, whatever, right? It's the most dreaded thing that people have to work with, according to this survey. Yeah. And, and, and it just narrowly beat out Visual Basic. <laughs> Which, isn't that right on? Like, I always compare Salesforce to Visual Basic. I say it's, it is the modern, it's the Visual Basic in the cloud. It's the modern day Visual Basic. And there, there they are, right next to each other. Most dreaded. Well, so it's not, it's... Well, we, we have to define dreaded because <laughs> that, 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 that's okay. misleading. Okay, so read it. There it is. There's a definition. Read that. You see it? The definition of dreaded? Yeah. It's percentage of developers who who are developing with the language or tech, but have not expressed interest in continuing to do so. Right. So but even, sales, even within that, you have to read past that, but go ahead. Oh, I, well, that was just, that was that little footnote, but we asked respondents in programming languages and technologies they developed with over the past year and, and what languages and technologies they want to develop with by comparing, comparing status quo versus aspiration. We can see how developers, yeah, I don't know. So they highly inferred that, that kind of displeasure. They kind of highly inferred that, right. Because they because they're working on this and they are actively trying to learn a different language, that must mean that they do not like working in this language and want to move on. Right. However, I think the landscape of the type of applications that we do, and even the landscape of the type of applications we're going to build within Salesforce, are changing. Where we're getting a lot more client side server tools with the new Lightning components and things like that. Um, so a lot of people that were starting out developing in Salesforce with triggers and Apex code are now doing Visual Force pages and are having to learn HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And then we have the Lightning components and all the mobile components, which are all kind of web-based technologies. So I, I think that that's really misleading. Well, so you're, what you're, it sounds like what you're saying there is that it, get, it gets better. It's going to get better. Right? I think that people are learning other, are saying that they're learning other languages because they are to grow as a developer and to be able to do That's better things. That's not what it said. It's uh, basically what it's saying is that 27, only 27% of Salesforce developers who are surveyed have an interest in continuing to do Salesforce work. That was an inferment though. The question that they said they asked was, are you, what language are you using all the time? And are you trying to learn another language? I, I don't see that. That's in that paragraph that you read right after the, let's see, I was trying to get to where you're at, but. Where are you? Yeah, it's what it's what are they working with versus what do they want to work with? Right, just exactly. A smaller, a very small percent of them want you know, listed Salesforce as something they want to continue working on. Hey, I'd I'd love to be doing pure web application stuff <laughs> and and things like that, but you know what? There's a lot of demand for Salesforce developers. Well, that and there's a lot of de demand right. for the skill set that I've developed over the last ten years. It's hard to ignore that, and it's hard to say I'm just going to give that up for another language. Sure, right. Um, and did you, do you, did you read Dan Appleman's post? Yeah, we were going to get to that because okay. it's, it's very much a reactionary post. I mean, it's, I don't think it's kind of founded any kind of analysis other than it's just a reaction to 73%. That's impossible. I don't know anybody who's trying to move off the platform or anyone who's dissatisfied with the platform. But um, I'll read his title. He says, 70% of Salesforce developers want to stop being Salesforce developers. And, and then he adds, say what? Say what? That's what I, I that's what I pictured when he said say what? All right. <laughs> I've never met him, so I don't know what he sounds like, but I, I think that's what he would what it sound like. I, I would agree. Yeah. I think that's what he sounds like. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I think that's, I think for Appleman, it's, he's kind of in a bubble. I don't know if he could be extremely uh, kind of objective in this perspective because the people he's going to be surrounded by, the people who are going to reach out to him are people that are learning Salesforce. Yeah. Well, he's, I mean, and we should have some background who he is. I don't know much about him. He's an, he wrote the, an apex programming book. I guess he's probably a Salesforce consultant, right? He, well, he, he wrote the advanced apex programming book and that was a book they handed out at Dreamforce to all the developers as well. So it's, you know, and it's pretty much the only book out there. I mean, everything else is available online and, and through all those resources. And then he took the time to actually write a book about it. So, you know, he's pretty much wrote, written the book on it. Yeah. Like his first sentence on this post, he says, I was more than a bit surprised that Salesforce development topped the list of most dreaded technologies. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. <laughs> I'm shocked. Salesforce development topped the list of most dreaded technologies. I'm not shocked. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of shocked because there is so much cheerleading in the Salesforce world. I would suspect that I would have thought if you went out and uh, surveyed Salesforce developers that you would find that, you know, 90% of them just love it and can't think of anything that's wrong with it. Yeah. And I, I probably that, kind of roll my eyes, but do, is, doesn't that seem like that's the response you get? I yeah. mean, I truly am shocked by this response. I am. I'm very shocked by it. But again, I think it comes from, from who we surrounded by the people that are in contact with them. They're going to be people who are trying to learn Salesforce who are actively hungrily looking for information on how to do this versus those who have been in it for a while, have been working with things, have implemented real world solutions with it, have come across limits and issues and bugs. We, and we've got, that. The, we've got the scars and barnacles to exactly. show for it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're also, we're all standing around, you know, lifting up our shirts and showing our latest scar. Right. You know, um, another thing I just highlighted here, I thought was interesting. He said, um, is that he says, I know many developers who have come to apex from other languages. I can't think of any of them who are looking to do something else. Really? Really, Dan? <laughs> Does he, I mean, basically what he's, his, his implication here is that cells, that apex is such a great language that once you get to apex, you're never going back. Well, I'm sorry. There's a lot of things I like about Salesforce and the, and the platform in general, which is one reason why, I do Salesforce work, but it sure as hell ain't Apex. Right. Apex, and I won't even go into my laundry list. We'll, we, can, we don't have enough time. Right? No. We'll have to do it on another show. I wish probably should. I'd love to dissect Apex on, on a show sometime, get super technical. Um, but suffice it just to say for this episode that it's not a great language. People don't come to the Salesforce platform because, oh, that's where you can, that's where you can write Apex. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Unfortunately, you have to write Apex on Salesforce, but there's other benefits of the platform, right? Yeah, no, I think the the benefit is the platform. The con is the language, the proprietary language that you have to develop in. And honestly, it's not even to me, it's not even the con is not even that it's proprietary. Um, That is a con, but it's it's, it's so low on my list, though. There's just so many other practical, technical reasons. But right. um, Did he have any other points? I mean, he kind of he kind of attacks the credibility of the survey, right? Um, which he actually makes some good points. It's like, you know, who are these people, and why didn't they survey the Salesforce Stack Exchange? And and would you get a different answer? Probably so. Who knows? Um, the sur- the survey didn't get as much saturation 
as I would have liked. I mean, it, it was out for a while, but I was actually unaware that it was out. And I'm, I'm guessing because I hadn't logged in in a while, but yeah. I have an account. I would have expected maybe an email that said, hey, there's a survey's out. Come and take it. Because I think they only got, what, 25,000? How many people took the survey? Well, the upside to that is the only people who probably responded to it are, were active Stack, stack, uh, stack Overflow users. Well, they were active. Um, yeah, it's 26,000 people from 157 countries. Now, they did kind of, They were trying to be honest about how the survey came about in terms of who actually responded. You know, it was very geared towards people who at least speak and understand English or are willing to take English surveys because that's what it was. So there was... There, they did explain that in the beginning of the survey, of the overview of the survey. Um, so they're trying to be open and transparent about it, and you're, they try to reflect all the numbers and everything. I would have loved to have had a copy of the questions to be able to see them. Um, well, surely you can get that, right? I, no, it's not published. The internet does not have a copy of the questions? I couldn't find it on my quick searching. <laughs> okay. And it was done with SurveyMonkey, and they closed the survey, so mm. can't get to it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing the, I think there was a little nag on the side or on the top. It was like, take, I, I don't take surveys though, so I didn't take it. We'll see. You, you would have probably been <laughs> one of the ones that counted in the top 73% there anyways. Yeah, and again, I I mean, I don't know where I'm, and to me it's not, it's not really a black and white issue. I mean, you know, I, I know I come across as critical of Salesforce a lot of the time, and I, and it's because I am, um, but I'm, the reason I'm, Critical is because, well, number one, that's kind of just part of my personality is to be overly analytical. But also, I, I want it to get better, right? I want, I mean, it's these are ideas about what's wrong or what's right and how these things can get better. And I don't know. I Sometimes I wish I had more. There was, and we're going to Dreamforce this year, so maybe I'll, I'll get an opportunity. But I wish there was more, um, I wish I had a more productive way of expressing that. Like, how do I, and I've tried things before. I've even had a couple of times had opportunities to talk to some People at Salesforce who could do something about it, but they're just not interested. Um, but um, yeah, what, what was my point? I mean, I, I don't know where I would be on that. It's not black. It's not a black and white issue. I mean, there's it's a mixed bag. Salesforce right. is a mixed bag. Obviously, it's a big enterprise system. Well, I thought it was interesting that, uh, and this might have some bearing on why Salesforce is listed on the most dreaded. Um, because if you look at the most loved, it's newer languages like Swift and C++ or C++ 11. Yeah. What is that? What that's just that? the newest C++. Yeah. Rust, Go, Clojure. Yeah. Uh, Scala. Wow. That's uh, look, look at that. You got Clojure and Scala, two uh, Java languages. Um, yeah. F sharp. That's uh, look at, look at functional, man. Um, that's interesting. Clojure, Scala are both um, highly functional. F sharp is highly functional. Haskell, pure functional almost, right? That's yeah. pretty amazing. So that, that tells you right there. Are you in functional programming yet, John? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've tinkered with it, but it's, yeah. um, and there's some, there's some domains where it's, it's all about functional. Right. And speaking of that, uh, big, big data is kind of one of them. There's a lot of functional stuff in big data. Right. Um, but, but I mean, these are all new, exciting, sexy languages that, that I think have skewed the kind Python's of survey a new results. sexy language. That's at the C bottom. Sharp's a new sexy language. That's at the bottom. C++. It's on the top 10, though. That's the top 10 of yeah, them. Yeah, but I'm talking about like Swift and C++. There are a few that are new, but a lot of those are relatively not not new. I mean, I don't know. I think that's normal, though. You're always going to have some of the newer ones that are in the that yeah. people are wanting to 
check out. Right. I think that's why Swift is up there, right? That's the newest language in that list. Yeah. And there's also tons of iOS developers who, and, and um, OS 10 developers who, They've been dealing with Objective C for well, that was my next <laughs> this point. Whole time. That, you know, Android was one of the most wanted platforms to develop on. Most, iOS was kind of really low on the list, though. Most wanted. Yeah, if you get the most wanted. I'm trying to. Okay, most wanted. So that's they want to switch. I, can you believe Java's on there? Yes, I. That's can. crazy. Java's Java. so old. Now is this a language Java or a platform? Is the top, this is a language. top on the most popular technologies. I'm surprised SQL second. That's so odd. Wait, where are you looking? I'm looking at most wanted. I'm looking right above the survey right before that, which is most popular technologies. Oh, yeah. Okay. In terms of usage. Yeah, okay. And even, even having like Node and Angular on there, it's kind of odd because those are just frameworks on top of JavaScript. But Objective-C, most popular. Well, that's just because that's, that doesn't mean people love it, though. That's just the most popular. That's, that's one thing you have to remember about, the, about that popular technology list. Yeah. Um, but I think looking at some of the other numbers, you, you kind of see kind of the trend. I mean, this is probably, you know, developers that are looking at these newer languages, seeing all the nice features and everything. And they're just, they just want those, you know, they want to learn that. And that the question was, you know, what are you using today? And is there anything out there that you want to learn as well? But that's the nature of our, our industry or the nature of our kind of what we do. You know, we don't, we don't just pick a language and be like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm JavaScript for life. Screw everyone else. Team JavaScript, right? You know, no, we we learn other language. We learn HTML, CSS, Java, C sharp. You know, all of us have a bag full of languages that we that we mess Sockle. around with. Sossel, Sackle. So we're not really restricted to any single language. Sackle. So have you if there's a new language yet? out there or something that we're maybe not a proficient in but would like to be, yeah, of course that's going to skew this these numbers with this type of questioning. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you know, all surveys are flawed. That's why they have confidence levels and margin of error and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's still very interesting. I find it interesting. Um, I always find it interesting that the United States did not make even the top 10 list of uh, caffeinated beverages per day ranking. Nor- Norway wins three caffeinated beverages per day. Well, they didn't survey me because I have like 10 of them a day. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, yeah. which, which, What's an interesting survey? There's a lot of information on there. Definitely kind of read the the kind of captions of the graphics, but also read the sentence afterwards to kind of understand how they asked the question because that's going to really kind of help you understand how that number came about. And the sampling is still relatively small compared to what it probably should be if it was a full-spectrum survey across many devs. This is interesting. Um, let me do the math here. 29 plus 17 is what, 44? Is that right? No. 46. Uh, plus four, five, 50% of developers say it's either somewhat important, very important, or non-negotiable that they work remotely. 50%. We're probably in that non-negotiable. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, to me it's non-negotiable. I mean, I've I've never I've 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 relaxed my stance on that a few times and every time it's been a waste of my time. I spend more time in the airport and anything than I do right in front of the cu- customer who just wanted to shake my hand. Yeah, you'd end up sitting in their one of their cubicles by yourself for a week. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that before. That that was really painful. FaceTiming with your family at night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I for for I mean, it depends if it's really important to them, then you're going to pay for it, right? How, what's it worth to you? Well, they're paying for it. No, I'm saying I'll, I'm going to charge you a double rate. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, everyone has a price. Give them a price. No, I, th- I think I think nowadays, with especially with everyone trying to cut back expenses, which has made that argument a lot easier. That you know, I can do this remotely. We can we can WebEx or GoToMeeting. You can see what I'm doing. We can even FaceTime if we have to, or get on. You know, GoTo has the video features as well. So there's less less and less of a reason to even incur the cost of making me travel, plane ticket, hotel, food. Uh, I mean, just, the internet's changed everything too. I mean, yeah. the systems are in the cloud to begin with. You can. You know. That's another thing. That's another big plus about Salesforce being in the cloud and, and being accessible that way. I, I don't have to be on site hooked hooked in behind someone's firewall right. to be able to access their systems. And I haven't had to, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know there are still systems that are behind firewalls, but it's it's pretty rare that you yeah, actually you solve that with VPN. Yeah. I hate VPNs, though. You do what you have to. I don't want to install your crappy, VP, your crappy enterprise VPN software that has some bug that always makes my system crash. Oh, I usually, most of those are geared towards Windows anyways, and I'm a Mac guy, so I usually set up a VM and then set up the VPN on that. VPN client installed in a VM. It works. <laughs> I and that, I, can, I can get rid of, of it when I'm done. Your system, though. That's true. I can get rid of it when I'm done. At least you've, it's, it's kind of like practicing. I kind of uh, sandbox them out of my system. Practicing safe VPN. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, uh, what else, man? Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. Survey says that is it. That's all. That's all we got. Uh, thank you. <laughs> can't say thank you yet. Why can't I say thank you? Because we haven't ended yet. <laughs> can't end the show until, until the until the fat guy sings <laughs> and to that uh, I say good day sir good day sir I, I just kind of feel naked uh